Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. This is Authenticated. The Diecast Collectors Podcast from Lionel Racing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Authenticated, the Diecast Collectors Podcast, the first official one of these uh, little online shindigs that we've got going on here. This is Matt Kenfield from Lionel Racing, Content Marketing Manager, and we are excited to officially launch this podcast. Uh, Maybe you've stumbled upon our show. It's been on all the major platforms over the last few weeks as we've kind of been getting the wheels uh, lubed up and getting the uh, getting things moving down the road with this podcast, making sure everything looks good, sounds good, and uh, our our partners at the Out of the Groove Podcast Network have uh, been awesome to work with to help us get this show launched. And we've uh, been promising, like I said, if you've stumbled upon this show, uh, consider yourself lucky. We've been teasing a lot of cool things to come with the Authenticated Podcast, and now this is the official launch. We got the green flag. We are ready to rip. We've got a lot of cool stuff in store for you today on Authenticated. We've been teasing something big, and we are not going to let you down. This is going to be the uh, official launch, not only of the podcast, but also a first glimpse into the 2022 NASCAR Next Gen Diecast coming soon from Lionel Racing. We'll get more into that later on in the show. But first, I want to introduce my co-host, Inauthenticated, Alex Pullman. Welcome uh, welcome officially to the show now. And uh, this little online party that we've been doing here, I know podcasting is something that's kind of near and dear to your heart. It's, it's something that you do while you're working your butt off all day long here at Lionel Racing. But, you know, podcasts are... Um, the, the wave of the current and the wave of the future uh, in, in uh, motorsports. And, and thankfully, NASCAR and especially the Cup Series gave us a lot to talk about on track this week. Absolutely. Everything from the truck race to the, the, the checkered flag at the Cup race. I mean, there was just pure excitement all weekend. Absolutely. And uh, Michelle Fannin also joining us on Authenticated here today. And Michelle, uh, you know, we, we've been working hard at this podcast, but uh, and we talked a little bit about it last week. But uh, Craig and Josh and Eric and that whole group at Out of the Groove Podcast Network and the YouTube show and all the great multimedia, Pole Position Magazine, great partners of ours. And uh, we owe them a, certainly a debt of gratitude to get this show off the uh, off the ground. We absolutely do. Like you said, they've been great partners of ours. Um, we're excited to launch the podcast officially uh, this week. So we hope our collectors enjoy what they hear. And um, we're excited that Howard Hitchcock, our CEO, is going to be joining us later during this podcast. So stay tuned for that. 
when it comes to the next gen diecast everybody in this room that's recording this has had a, a small part in it but it's a huge team and a huge undertaking to get those next gen cars uh to the state that they are right now and just a, a few uh, few more months and weeks away from actually having them in your hands as well we'll talk more about all the timing and what goes into those next gen diecast later on in authenticated but first let's talk about a wild weekend in thunder valley Saturday night, Thunder Valley, Bristol Motor Speedway. We always know that when the lights turn on at Bristol Motor Speedway, amazing, incredible things are going to happen. And certainly Saturday night, the NASCAR Cup Series uh, did not prove that theory wrong by any means. At the last great Coliseum, Bristol Motor Speedway, Kyle Larson went to victory lane. That's a big deal. Yeah, sixth win of the season and, uh, you know, certainly a, a career high for him in one season. Um, but I'll tell you what, the the fireworks that happened at the end of that race, fireworks that happened at all three races. We'll talk about the truck and Xfinity races as well later on. But all three races just came down to the wire, beating and banging, just like you want to see at those short tracks. Kyle Larson goes to victory lane. We'll talk about him first, and then we'll talk about some of the other drama. But, uh, Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, Kyle Larson had such an amazing regular season regular season champion. Uh, everybody knew that he was the guy to beat. But there's just something about Kyle Larson and short tracks that seem to really fit together, especially this season. Absolutely. Well, you know, with his short, you know, his dirt background and running on, you know, short tracks, I think that those are his bread and butter almost. So he definitely is someone you always have to watch out for. Even if he starts in the back, you'll find him at the front, you know, toward the end when it really counts. And Michelle, I think Kyle Larson showed uh, once again that he is the guy to beat. After the first two races, when it was a JGR, Joe Gibbs Racing uh, sweep of the wins between uh, Hamlin and Truex, I think the Hendrick team kind of took took that personally and got back to their winning ways again. The Hendrick team showed that they have the strength to compete all four cars. I mean, Larson. Like Alex said, he's a king of short track racing, no doubt. He was strong. Chase Elliott was strong there, too, and we can get into what happened to him a little bit later. But then Bowman and Byron, they came through when they needed to. I mean, they worked on Bowman's car all night, got it where they needed to be. Byron, you know, made it in just over the line to uh, advance to the next round of the playoffs. So Hendrick came in strong, and they all four advanced, which we weren't sure the last time we talked if they were going to be able to do it. So... Hendrick is rocking. Yeah, Bowman and Byron both were kind of on the outside looking in. I know Bowman was tied going into that race, but still one position uh, plus or minus could have ended, you know, two of those uh, cars uh, from having a chance to move on to the round of 12. So uh, definitely a, a good performance step up by that Hendrick team. And certainly Kyle Larson with the Valvoline number five going to victory lane at Bristol Motor Speedway. All right, that big elephant in this room certainly is that uh, unbelievable battle on the track and then some uh, some words and some, some hands being placed on each other and fingers pointing between a couple of NASCAR Cup Series champions, Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick. And uh, I'll ask both of your opinions first before I, before I give my opinion on what happened on the racetrack there. But, uh, Alex, let's start with you. Uh, what happened between those two on the track? Um, did you see it as one was maybe, dirty or was it just hey like Joey Lacano said a few years ago that's short track racing I mean it at Bristol anything can happen you're gonna have a lot of lap cars and you know Chase was trying to defend his spot to move on and wanted his you know his teammate had taken the lead so he was trying to defend his teammate to go ahead and win 
But it is. It's At the end of the day, it's racing. You're there to see your race. You're not there to just go, hey, I'm going to let you pass me. And that's it. You're there to you're paying there to see a good show. And Bristol put on a great show this weekend. Well, I think if Harvick hadn't cut Chase's tire earlier, Chase probably wouldn't have held right. Harvick up as much as he did. And also, if Larson wasn't the car right behind Harvick, that could have won, Chase wouldn't have held Harvick up as much, probably. You know, the fact that it was Chase's teammate that stood to gain had a lot to do with it, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, and and ultimately, that's what it's all about. You know, Chase is kind of being the, the good teammate there. Yes, he's fired up, but it, it was being a good teammate, but also making sure if the guy does you wrong, you make sure he's not going to be the one that goes to victory right. lane, especially when you know, you know that teammate, Byron, depending on what's happening behind him, might have missed the playoffs, even finishing second or third. So a win would have certainly moved him up. Um, but one position in either direction, Byron was, you know, just barely hanging on to that uh, transfer spot for the playoffs. So uh, it was almost important to make sure that if Chase couldn't win, it was almost just as important to make sure Harvick didn't win right, right. Uh, in that position. But, um you know, again, it's short track racing. Harvick, Harvick and Elliott both came from short track late model racing and everything like that. Like, neither, this is not the first foray of either one of these guys bumping doors and probably causing a flat tire for each other or whatever it might have been through the course of their career. As a matter of fact, <laughs> watching those two on pit road brought back a lot of memories to an old battle that Harvick and Biffle had many, many years ago uh, where it got way more physical than it did Saturday night at Bristol. But, um, Ultimately, as a, as a race fan, I want those guys ticked off at each other. I think it's only going to help. I think it's going to help Harvick. It's going to light him up as we go into Vegas. And you may see him. I mean, not that he wasn't trying before, not that he didn't want to win or have the fire, but he's going to be even more fired up now, I think, which is only going to be better for us. And Harvick's definitely someone you don't want to be, you know, have somebody on your bad side, on right. his bad side. If this had been September 2020, or 2019 even, when Harvick had a handful of wins already and it didn't matter as much to him whether he won or not. He still would have been fiery, probably still would have been ticked off, still would have you know gotten in Chase's face and vice versa and everything like that. But that was the best run that he had, the closest that he could have come to victory lane all season. I think that amped up the frustration level a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's been about a year since he's been in victory lane and he had a new sponsor on his car. Right. So all those things I think kind of played into it a little bit and he was hot. He was hot. Right. And you know what? I love to see those guys. I'm from, like I said, I've talked about Unauthenticated before. I come from the short track background. You know, I've seen lots of guys get in each other's faces, but these are grown men. I know a lot of fans wanted to see them start throwing hands, but they're champions of the sport. They are ambassadors for the sport. Whether you like it or not, they did it the right way. They, you know, banged into each other on the racetrack, they showed their displeasure, and they talked it out. Whether, we will never know what was discussed. What, we'll know what was discussed, you know, on pit road. We can kind of pick up some of the audio and people have, you know, translated what was said and everything like that. But if you were watching on NBC, how the drivers went into Chase's transporter after the race and, uh, you know, very wisely. Hopefully there was at least one crew guy in there just in case things did get a little, <laughs> a little out of hand in there. But you got to figure those guys talked it out my bet, my money, if I was a betting man, would say that they agreed to disagree. I don't think they ever came, you know, they had Yeah, to, they're not singing Kumbaya. They, they no. didn't come to Jesus and be like, you know what? Yeah, you were right. You know, let's shake hands, high five, and let's go get them next week. I don't think it was like that. Um, but again, I, I don't know 
again, both of these guys have good chances at winning the championship. You know, Harvick is showing all season long that he didn't have the speed necessarily to go to victory lane, but at Bristol he did. Um, so they're turning the wick up when they need to. And Chase obviously winning the championship last year uh, is in a very good position to maybe repeat this year. Do you guys think that this continues on? Maybe not at Las Vegas, because that's a high-speed track. But, I mean, we do still go to Martinsville, uh, where a lot of that same stuff can happen. And, you know, there's a, still a lot of racing to do over these last two months. I think you'll definitely see it going into the next round. If there's going to be any kind of retaliation, it's going to happen. Because Harvick wants to move on to, you know, the round of, what is it? Round of six? What is it? Round of eight? Round of eight. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to definitely see the frustration if he can't get there. I'm going to be interested, and that's why I'll be honest with you. You know, a decade ago, whenever they introduced this chase playoff format, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of it. You know, I was a traditionalist. I wanted to see, you know, whoever had the best overall season be the champion. But this is made for TV kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Because when we get later on, what just happened at Bristol, we've got the Roval. Anything can happen there, right? And we've got uh, Talladega, Talladega, Martinsville. I mean, this is what NASCAR fans live for. They want to see beating and banging. They want to see guys. I promise you there is going to be one cameraman dedicated solely to the nine and four cars for the rest of the season just to see if something else happens on those NBC broadcasts. And uh, I'm excited for it. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, this this has taken my excitement for the championship up a whole new level. Whenever there's something called an elimination round, right. the drama is going to skyrocket. So I'm with you, Matt. I think it's going to be fantastic. And this next round has drama built in with Talladega and the Roval. Right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that. But uh, we talked, we touched a little bit about William Byron having a very strong run to leapfrog a couple of drivers to get into the next round of the playoffs. But there were four drivers that were cut out. Eric Almarola, Tyler Reddick, Kurt Busch, and Michael McDowell all eliminated. I don't know what you guys think. Are there any surprises there? Were there any kind of championship hopefuls or, or contenders in that first uh, cutoff group? I don't, I mean, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I know that you can say no, it's okay. (laughs) I didn't, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, you would want to see those kind of underdogs like a McDowell make it on, but you know, it just so happens every, you know, everybody else running strong at Bristol. So, right. And I I think watching the end of the race, there was so much going on up front, but kudos to NBC for showing a lot of the battle that Eric Almirola was having there because every lap, it seemed like he was losing a position. Uh, You know, for about 15 laps, it looked like he and Ryan Priest were running side by side. And if Priest passed him, Almirola was out. If he passed Priest, Almirola was in. It it was just, it was really dramatic to watch. And there was just so much going on there to try to follow it all. Um, But you got to figure... You know, my thoughts, at least, Kurt Busch is probably the only one that I was mildly surprised with because, uh, you know, winning a race and having a little extra motivation to do well with his, you know, last handful of races with the uh, Chip Ganassi racing team. And you got to figure he wanted to carry the torch and kind of thank Chip for for all the few years that he had there to, uh, you know, end that tenure uh, on a high note. So I was a little, I don't want to say disappointed, but I, I will say I was a little surprised that he was not one of the ones that did transfer on. But uh, so 
that's what happened at Bristol. Plenty of stuff happened at Bristol. And we, you know, we only talked about it for where are we about 20 minutes now? And that one doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of all that happened at Bristol. But uh, I know that race fans are going to want to always remember what happened at Bristol September 2021 with the race win diecast of Kyle Larson's number five Valvoline Chevrolet Camaro. The race win version now available for order from LionelRacing.com through the Lionel Racing Call Center 1-800-952-0708 or other authorized Lionel Racing diecast dealers. There's some damage to the car, lots of scuffs, lots of scrapes, and uh, uh, Bristol Motor Speedway race wins uh, have to be one of the the banes of the existence for our for our diecast designers. Or actually, they they probably hate doing it because there's so much damage and so much stuff that they have to do. But they probably love it because that's what they do, right? That, yeah. that, that they're excited to do race race wins. They're like one that. of the most challenging ones for sure. Right, especially there's a lot of confetti too. Yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be a great one that you're going to want to add to your collection. The Kyle Larson number five. Valvoline race win version from Bristol Motor Speedway. Again, LionelRacing.com, 1-800-952-0708 or author, authorized Lionel Racing diecast dealers. This week in the Fresh Paint segment, we're going to talk about two of the race win diecasts to come out of the Bristol Motor Speedway race weekend. First up, Wow. That's all I got to say about this one. The AJ Allmendinger number 16 Barger Precast Bristol Xfinity race win. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff stuff happen over the years, especially at Bristol Motor Speedway. I can honestly say I don't know if I've ever seen so much three wide dive bomb racing and a guy tear up his car so badly after the checkered flag. They couldn't even wheel it to victory lane. They couldn't get it up the dang ramp to get it to victory lane. They had to let it sit in the garage area. And Alex and, uh, you know, we've given you some we've given you some crap over the few weeks about your AJ Allmendinger, dude. But uh, I'll tell you what. He uh, he gets the job done, and the dude knows how to knows how to win regular season champion. But uh, thankfully, he he can tear up a race car too and make a really cool race win diecast. I mean, just the shot of him and Cindric going sideways across the start finish line before he got obliterated in the car yeah, got oh yeah. you know even more damage. I mean, it was a race win, a really cool race win diecast. Then. And then even more things happened afterwards. But of course, in my household, we were super excited. Uh, I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, I'm on my AJ shirt. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Alex is in the process of building a house just for all the AJ Elmendinger. Uh, That's my husband. Uh, collectibles that they can throw into that uh, in, into the new house. So uh, uh, we'll add one more diecast at least. And, and uh, Alex, Michelle, I know both of you have uh, been in discussions because there is so much damage to this car. There, I mean, top to bottom, front to back, everywhere. There's something either missing or damaged or bent or, or scuffed up somehow. Um, it's going to be a challenge to make this diecast. But in your meeting this morning, you know, how are we going to, you know, make this diecast come to life? Well, there's some damage that we can do um, and there's some that we're going to have to replicate with decals. So the big thing that I think people were asking about is the way that the rear bumper is tilted and detached basically from the body of the car. So we can't detach the bumper from the die cast. That's just not going to work um, with the process that we have, but everything else we can replicate. Um, we can, there's a part of, a, with the rear wheel that where the fender is kind of the rear wheel. Well, I guess is what yep. you can say is kind of yeah, cut yeah, away. So, yeah. so we can die stamp that. Um, so we are going to cut that away. The tires, one is cut, one's gone. We can cut the tires um, 
a lot. There's like some insulation poking through. So we can replicate that with decal, all the donuts we can replicate. So there's also, if you look at it from the top down on the um, rear deck, part of it's like coming away from the side of the car. Crooked or yeah. what? So there's in. like some space there so we can replicate that with decal as well. So we're going to do an amazing job at replicating it. Yes. The big thing is the rear bumper Oops. being detached. We just can't do that with the tooling that we have, but it's still going to look incredible. Yes. Absolutely. And and that's one of the challenges. And obviously, when there's a race win with a lot of damage, there's certain parts, uh, as Michelle just touched on, there's certain parts that our tooling is able to uh, remove or, or alter in some ways. But in order to alter or remove other parts of the car would correct me if I'm wrong, basically mean destroying the tool and never right. being able to make another one of those types of cars right. again. And tooling is a capital investment and a pretty large one. So we don't damage tooling to make wrecked cars. Right. It uh, It's going to be a great race win that you're going to want to add to. The, and we don't want that to take away from the excitement because we are, I say we, you two ladies were in a meeting uh, most of the morning here today. Uh, we're recording this on Monday right after the race weekend uh, talking about what we can do. And, and I think just hearing what I, th I think there's more that we're going to be able to replicate uh, through damage and through, you know, altering than I, I thought we'd even be able to do. So I think race fans are going to get pretty excited about it. And our artists are really talented at, you know, how they can draw the certain damage with and they can replicate it with the decal. So it's definitely going to look very realistic of how it, you know, finished on track. And when we cut tires, like we will in the case of this car, our factory, they actually do that by hand. So each one is actually individually hand cut. So when we're talking about creating race wind die cast, they're actually hand done, which is pretty incredible. It's truly a collector's item. Absolutely. It, uh, it's going to be one you don't want to miss. The A.J. Allmendinger number 16 Barger Precast Bristol Xfinity Race win. I believe that's the first race Barger Precast has been on that car, too, right? So. Uh, I think they said second, but first, obviously, that they, what they, right. they've won. Right. So if you're an A.J. Allmendinger fan, you definitely want to add this one. And if you're just a, f a fan of really cool-looking die cast and, and, and a lot of damage and everything like that, this is one you're going to want to put on your shelf for sure. Order it now. LionelRacing.com, 1-800-952-0708 or other authorized Lionel Racing diecast dealers. And uh, the beginning of the Bristol weekend started with uh, an, an incredible, uh, just like all the other races were, uh, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race. Chandler Smith goes to victory lane, and this one is in the number 18 Safe Light Auto Glass Toyota Tundra for Kyle Busch Motorsports. And this dude... You know, young kid out of Georgia really needed a strong run, probably needed a win to leapfrog his way into the next round of the playoffs, got the job done. And it was his first win, which right. is a big deal. And he, like you said, he had to do it to not be eliminated. So we're excited for him. First win diecast are always popular among collectors. So um, we're expecting this one to be a good seller. And um, we're excited that we get to make it for him. It's always fun for us to make a first win diecast for a driver. Yeah, absolutely. And great for Kyle Busch Motorsports, too, to go back to victory lane. I know John Hunter Nemechek has won a bunch of races in the number four truck for KBM. But uh, obviously seeing more KBM trucks go to victory lane is great for that organization as well. Uh, showing some strength here as they get ready for uh, the, the playoffs and uh, further into the playoffs towards the championship in Phoenix. Again, the Safe Light Autoglass number 18 race win Toyota Tundra for Chandler Smith now available for order. LionelRacing.com 1-800-952-0708 or other authorized Lionel Racing diecast dealers. 
All right, authenticated fans, it is the moment you have been eagerly awaiting. We have been teasing this moment, this this day, this show, since the very beginning of this podcast, since we soft launched it about a month ago. We've been saying that when we officially release this show and put it out to the masses, we are going to have a lot of cool stuff to talk about. And we weren't lying. You know, you might have thought we were blowing smoke, but not this time. Nope, we were shooting you straight on this one today on Authenticated. We will be talking a lot more about the 2022 Next Gen Diecast. And when it comes time to do that, there's nobody better to talk about that than Dr. Diecast himself, Lionel Racing CEO, Howard Hitchcock. Howard, thank you so much for joining Michelle and I today on Authenticated. And this has been a long time coming to finally talk about these cars, let me tell you. Yeah, thank, <clears throat> first of all, thanks for having me. And this is cool that we're doing this again. Um, you know, when I did Collector a long time ago uh, on Sirius XM, uh, it was a fun way of really disseminating information out to the fans. And we uh, we talked to a lot of really cool fans and and shared a lot about uh, production and diecast and details and, and how things came to be and why things were the way they were. And um, as you said, <clears throat> we have been working on this for a tremendous amount of time. We, um, gosh, our first meetings at NASCAR Tech, we, we got chassis data in February of 20, 2020. Um, and so... Uh, looking at that, we had meetings prior to that. So we've we've been working on this a very, very long time. Um, you know, confidentiality being critically important with what was going on and some of the things that we knew were coming ahead of time. Um, this organization does an awesome job of 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 holding that confidentiality for for the sport, for NASCAR, for the teams. Um, <clears throat> such an important part of what we do. And uh now to be able to share it is really fun because it feels like a, feels like a weight's been lifted off that you can actually talk about some of the cool things that, uh, you know, a lot of them have come out over time as as they've seen the cars on track or what have you. But um, when we knew about stuff before, it was uh, it was something that we we even put up provisions and measures here. Yeah, there were only limited people that were allowed to go to that first meeting. I think it was only three people, right, Howard? It was very few people uh, that could I, even go. Three or four of us, yeah. And um, and and even with that, with the restricted information, we, um, you know, had, the things you had to do just technology-wise to set up, uh, you know, barriers around the information that we had here and how we were sending that to, to where we had to send it and, and handling it. So, um, yeah, really cool stuff, but excited to talk about it. Um, these cars look awesome. Uh, I've, I've been involved in a lot. We could talk about that, uh, of uh, new car development. And um, yeah, excited to get these out there. Absolutely. And I want to talk more about that uh, Sirius XM show from way back in the day later on. Okay. Uh, I think uh, NASCAR fans, especially some of our younger fans, you know, the NASCAR Authentics, the 164 scale collectors that are maybe a little too young to uh, to remember that. Some, some of the OGs like me and you might remember <laughs> that show. So it'll be kind of cool to touch on that in just a little bit. But yeah. uh, we, you touched on just kind of the processes involved. It's, uh, you know, obviously NASCAR fans and NASCAR industry knew that this car had been coming for some time now. Um, as a matter of fact, it, the, from the initial announcement, we're supposed to be three quarters of the way through the season of this first car, uh, of this new car. Yep. Um, you know, if COVID hadn't happened, you know, normal timelines be what it is. We're supposed to be watching this car on track this weekend, as a matter of fact. Um, but anybody who's alive right now knows that over the last two years, things haven't gone according to plan. However, uh, like you mentioned, uh, let's delve a little bit more into that, into the processes. Since we first found out that this car was going to happen here at Lionel Racing, and from the first time that data was presented to us, what was kind of the process involved in getting some of that data from NASCAR, from the OEMs, to bring it into diecast form? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so this this has actually changed quite a bit over the years. Um, and I, as I... Um, 
well, as you guys know, I've I've been here since 2006, and so my first new diecast that I was I was involved in was the generation of car prior to the COT uh, when Toyota came into the sport and launched that car, and so I I had a hand in um, toward the end of that process, but I had a hand in helping to bring that car to market, and then was heavily involved with the uh, COT. Um, for all of the manufacturers, <clears throat> and then uh, obviously several times since then, uh, and several iterations and other th- of other cars. Um, but the process, you know, the process used to be that there had to be an actual buildup of a real car that we then sent somebody out to who took a ton of rotational pictures, uh, used a measuring tools to actually uh, create a visual representation that we would then send over to the factory, and they would hand sculpt that out of a clay model. Uh, and there was, there was iterations of that model. It started as a two up model. So you actually wound up with something that was uh, larger than an 18 scale, probably like a 12 scale car. Um, and then that get got sized down uh, through a series of processes and then ultimately turned into diecast. Today, when we went over to see the car for the first time and they had, you know, after we got there, they had, that car had appeared on track in solo testing, I think once or twice by that point. Um, and then when we got there and started talking about uh, the, the what we wanted to do and who we were with NASCAR Tech, and um, they handed over you know CAD data. And and so uh, as we have done with with several cars of, of past um, creation, we get the authentic CAD data from NASCAR Tech and the OEMs, Ford, Chevy, Toyota. Um, now the development process is evolutionary with, with these things. So the first CAD data that we got was the current generation of the test car at the time, but none of the OEM specific data had been finalized at that point. So we were, we were using the data that represented the generic car. Um, and so that fully changed the entire front clip, the entire rear clip, the hood, um, and some of the, some of the sculpting on the side. But we got that over to the factory, and then uh, through the process of 3D printing, they create a one-to-one model. And that's how this all gets started. The interesting thing about this car's development, which is entirely different than any of the other cars that we've ever done, is that this is a full ground-up rebuild, meaning there is not a part that carried over from the old... Well, I lie. The hood hinges are the same hood hinges we used elsewhere. So, so one of the several hundred pieces and parts that go into this car remains the same as the 2021 model. Literally, that's yes. it. Yeah, it's um, and and you know it, it's ironic because the hinges are one of the few things that are completely out of scale, right? Because you just can't make a 24 scale hinge that size that authenticates the real sure. car, right? So that happens to be the one piece that carries over. Ironically, <laughs> literally the tires, the wheels. I mean, because what we now know is right. They're they're um, they're not they're using a single lug sort of more like the open wheel type style right down the center as opposed to the five lugs. And the, the, the actual style of the wheel is designed to look more like an authentic sort of street version of a, of a, of a mag as opposed to uh, the, the racing version of the mag. Um, but yeah, that, so that, that's really how it started. And um, you, you get this data and you process that. And as things come and evolve and, and we start asking questions, we see things in pictures or we see things in CAD that's like, well, what's that? What does that do? How does this work? Um, one of the coolest pieces about the whole process was when we went over to see it at tech, 
they had one of the cars up on a lift and they started talking about what is called the underwing. And the underwing is essentially an aero pan that is attached to the bottom of the chassis of the car. So the car is a traditional car. It has a chassis and it has all the things that we would normally expect. So if you take your die cast today and flip it over, you kind of see all that stuff. You see the exhaust pipe, you see the transmission tunnel, you see all of that other a uh, little bit of suspension there. <clears throat> On the bottom of these cars, this isn't visual, so you can't see it, but it's essentially flat. It looks like a carved piece of plastic that um, you know has has indications. It has the jack post areas. It has some some other indications. And then it has some fins or fluting that run down the, the back end of the car to help direct the airflow from underneath the car. <clears throat> and what we found out was that the that aeropan drops down in sections to allow access to work on the car as needed. And we thought that was going to be one of the coolest features because, first of all, it's the first time the car has ever had this aero wing situation. Um, and the second thing was um, it reveals a bunch of stuff that's underneath. And so for us, that was like a trigger moment that was like, how do we how do we how do we interpret that in, in diecast? How do we bring that to life? How do we give the fan that's collecting this die cast sort of the same experience as the actual car? And so we came up with the removable pan idea for the Elite. So um, where the Elite has the die cast chassis, the ARC has the plastic chassis. On the ARC, you, you really only get that underpan. That's what the chassis is, what you see. On the Elite, you, ha- you not only have the screws that hold it to the, the shipping tray that we send it in, but you also have two, I believe it's, maybe it's four. Um, four screws that uh, hold the pan in place. You take those off and you can remove that and you can actually see all of the detail of the chassis, the suspension, the underside of the fuel tank, the the uh, transmission tunnel, the, the bottom side of the engine. I mean, there's a really a lot of cool features that that get exposed when you take that off. And, and you know, we sort of get credit as a manufacturer for making that. But at the same time, the fan gets to sort of see that underside, which is which is really, really cool. So super exciting uh, iteration or, um, you know, a new new feature uh, for the car. Right. And the elite tool still will have the opening hood and trunk versus the ARC, which will have the opening hood, just like it has been in, in recent recent versions uh, yep. over the last few years of the die cast. Um, but th- but that, um, you know, the underpan. Re, being removable, I, I think is, you know, we teased it a lot, you know, a revolutionary thing in NASCAR diecast because there's never been a purposely removable piece like that that actually shows the inner workings of the real model of the race car. Yeah, it's it's something that's, um, you're right. So, right, when you think about the car, it's, it's what you expect from an Elite. It's the most detailed uh, opening hood, opening trunk working front and rear suspension, posable wheels. And I think that's really cool because I didn't know that when I first got that. And I was like, man, these rear, the rear tires are really springy, just like a real race car would yeah. be. And, and, you know, the way race cars work right now, the, the front suspension does work on the Elite model as well, but it doesn't bounce as much. But that's by design because that's the way racing really is right now. Uh, you know, the front ends are tied down a lot, so there's not much travel in the front end. So the rear working suspension is really cool. Yeah, the rear, the rear, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the rear working suspension really does travel quite quite a bit. Um, it's, it's amazing when you actually, I've got it here in front of me and I'm playing with it. Cause that's what I do. I, you know, have, <laughs> that's all we, I, that's all we do is play with toys. That's, cars, it. Right? that's, that's exactly what, what it is. Yeah. As CEO, I get to play with toys all the time, which is awesome. Right. Um, no, I'm a product guy. So I, I get really jazzed about this stuff, right? I, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I get to do all the number stuff and everything else, but <clears throat> the, the thing that gets me excited every morning to come to work is I get to 
I get to be part of creating really cool products on both the, both sides of the business, cars and trains. But um, so yeah, when you when you kind of press it, you can see the travel, and you, I mean, it really it stops traveling because the bottom of the car actually touches the ground, right? right. And so it's um, you know the the way we've got these the wheels set into the into the chassis and into the body, um, I think doesn't excellent job of replicating what the actual car looks like um this I, I would i would argue that this is absolutely the best representation of the real race car that we've ever produced well and what was really cool is when we showed these first shots to the engineers like the guys from ford toyota and general motors the engineers that actually are responsible for you know refining and rebuilding the actual race cars they were just as impressed as i think we were when we saw them they had very few changes to these and the guy from general motors was just enthralled with it, really. And um, they had so few changes. And one of the changes was because he was envisioning himself, I think, as the driver in the die cast. And so the digital dash in the interior was is pretty large. And so he said, you know, if I was the driver in this, I wouldn't be able to see over the top of it. So that's one of the changes we're going to make when we move into production. But for um, us to get that kind of reception from the engineers of the actual race cars, I think just shows that our production team, and we got to credit Gwen Trink with that, who leads that. We did a lot of things right with these cars so we couldn't be happier with um the reception we got from those guys and we know the collectors are going to be happy with these as well yeah there <clears throat> there is no doubt as you said there's <clears throat> i know there's a couple of uh changes the, the digital dash being one of them um it stands up a little tall right now yeah. it looks like uh essentially like a giant ipad up in front right. of you it's on, like on a big dash. tv screen yeah yeah, yeah. um you know, there, so there's that. Um, there is a, a little indication on the uh, on the underwing, on the very front of the underwing, that's actually we we learned were separate parts. So that that's something that we're going to indicate with a in size line. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, when when you open it up, it even gets as far as. So this is this was one of the big debates of this whole car, right? One of the coolest features on the hood of the car is the louvered venting that's on the car. Um, the problem is, is when you shrink things down into 124 scale, sometimes you create situations that uh, become very, very difficult. And, and really, when we were having to make decisions, we didn't understand at the time the intention or if decaling was going to be decorating, essentially, was going to be allowed across those louvers. So we had to assume that it would be. And as part of that, you have to think about your production process. And so... We know that because we use decals, which allow us to get really crisp graphics and, and an excellent representation of what the car actually looks like, we know that going across those louvers would have created us quality problems, which we did not want to replicate. So we made a decision to visually replicate the louvers um, on the artwork as opposed to being a physical uh, sculpted piece. Now, that being said, when you open the hood, <clears throat> the louver shape on the three different OEMs is actually different, right? So Ford's is longer and skinnier and, you know, Chevy's is a little bit more of a square. And so what you'll see on even on the ARC side of things is the OEM specific engine detail and the air intake detail, which is customized by each OEM, mimics the location of where those air intakes would actually be. So when you close the the hood and, you know, the louvers will be indicated on the graphical part, they will line up with where the actual air intakes are on the underside of the hood. Um, and, you know, it's that precision level of detail that we've gone through to even, even though we don't have the louvering piece and it never would have been pierced, even if it was, it would have just been sort of ridged. Um, 
you know, to, to have that line up and to worry about where that, that fitment is and, and to make sure that that is meaningful to each OEM is really the care and the precision that we went into to bring these things to life. Go ahead, Michelle. Well, I think that might be even challenging for decalers on a real race car, right? So I think um, Austin Dillon's team at Daytona Test were showing on their social media, I think on Twitter, how they are going to incorporate those into paint schemes. And we right. were looking at that. I was looking at that with Gwen. And we were like, gosh, that's going to be hard for their decal guys even to do that, I think. Because even on a life-size race car, that's going to be challenging to line that up. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Because they, they actually are pierced louvers. Yep. You certainly don't want anything going inside that. Exactly. Because right. that affects the operation of the car. Um, they are only making two, which which does help. Sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, challenging for sure. Uh, well, and touching on a lot of that stuff is something I'm not sure that even, you know, the most diehard NASCAR diecast collector understands is just how – much Lionel Racing works with the OEMs, works with NASCAR, works with the teams to produce a replica of what they see on the racetrack. Because we could have, see, you know, taken pictures of what they ran in that first test and replicated it just based off the top of our heads and our, te- you know, talented designers and everything like that. And we could have come, come close probably, right? Mm-hmm. But knowing that we went through God knows how many different revisions and resizing, replacing, redoing little pieces to make these cars as accurate and replicated of the real uh, product uh, as possible through this whole process. You know, because it took it took so long because there was so much to be done with this car. Yeah. And that's a really good point, Matt. We um, First of all, it's a massive capital investment, right? So as I as I indicated, we literally had to rebuild every single tool where normally we have the chassis to work from. The, maybe the motor, you know, didn't really change the tires, the wheels. So <clears throat> really, really capital heavy year for racing, um, which is important because it's an investment. It shows it shows our commitment to the sport, uh, but it's also the investment. You, so you, you, you want to get it right, and at the same time. Um, we have always approached the business from the position position of being as accurate as we can be given the scale that we have, right? So realistically, as I said, the, the, the hood hinges aren't properly 124 scale sized, right? But we literally get the CAD data and it literally comes down to 24 scale sizing. And so what you have to do there then is figure out how you interpret things that you can't do but at the same time, bring in all of those little nuanced elements that that do evolve through this process. They don't the, the process of building a real race car. You've got aero that you've got to take into account. NASCAR has to approve all of the aero across the three OEMs. If one guy's aero gets approved and the other two sort of can't be competitive with whatever reason, that they have to go back and redo that. I mean, so there's all of those factors that go into into play, and you know, there's there's lots of stuff constantly still coming out um, about the specifics of location of decal placement and number placement and number size. And we literally get the specs like the teams do and, you know, have to incorporate that into how we make the, 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 uh, the actual die cast. And the reality is, you know, there, there are things that happen uh, where the, where the um, die cast sort of lays over certain parts and pieces of the, car and you want to make sure that it's accurate right so you know like where the antennas go or or where um 
the transmitters sort of sit on top and they, they pierce through or the roof flaps like those, those decals overlap that. And, and so you have to make sure that that all works. There's a process that's that's a, applying those decals. They they get um, they get laid down in a full sheet across the roof. And then somebody literally trims those with a very sharp razor blade um, to make sure that they fall into those places and stay there. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes that process, it, they are hand done. I mean, they're as hand built as anything can be, right? Where, mm-hmm. Or at least hand decorate it, right? Um, the, the, when the machine opens up, like a die cast car doesn't fall out of it, right? It, it falls out in like hundreds of pieces. And then each of those pieces are go through a unique process. The die cast bodies go into tumblers. They're hand filed to take off burrs and sharper edges. Um, then they go into a tumbling process to be smoothed out. Then they go, their hand, their hand set up on a uh, paint machine called a Ransberging machine. And um, that's a really cool process. That's, it's a, it's a, it's essentially imagine like a, an eight inch plate, steel plate that's on a rod that spins really, really fast and paint drips down onto this rod and it atomizes onto it oh. and like sprays across. And so it's spinning, it's moving up and down. And then there's a conveyor belt of cars that are going around that these things have been hand hung on that are spinning. And, and this thing is atomizing paint onto it to give that very fine mist of paint that covers the entire part of the car. Each part and piece goes through a finishing process. The little, you know, when you get down to the little um, antennae or the um, the little like transmitters that go that get that get um, hot soldered on the backside onto the roof, each one of those is on a piece that gets injected that comes off that has to be broken off, trimmed, painted, and then ultimately placed onto the car. So, um, you know, the level of detail that goes into these things to make them accurate, to make them um, you know really precision models is uh, is incredible. Um, and is really a tribute to not only uh, the work that goes in here, but also the factory that, that we utilize. And we will be, as we're doing this on a podcast, and we will be showcasing a lot of these features graphically and visually through our social media channels. Make sure you follow Lionel Racing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We will be uh, announcing these diecast visually uh, in concert with this. And also, uh, Howard made an appearance. Uh, you may have already heard that, and that's how you stumbled upon Authenticated, or maybe it's the other way around. But uh, Howard joined Eric Estep on the Out of the Groove YouTube show. You can go check that out now as well, uh, going into some of these processes and uh, more about the next-gen diecast with Eric. So um, you'll be able to check these diecasts out uh, that way. Now, I know that fans are going to be saying, okay, Howard, this all sounds awesome. I can't wait to see it. Uh, when will they be able to see it? I, I know that there's still a lot of balls in play before we can say, okay, you will have cars at this date, whatever it might be. So maybe, you know, let the fans know just a little bit about kind of where we are currently with these diecasts and, and where we are going down the road with them. Uh, yeah, sure. It's, um, <clears throat> it is still a moving target. We don't have a firm date. I can't sit here and tell you that you're going to have cars X. Our goal is to have a representation of cars in Daytona. Um, now that said, uh, the timeline for that, that we built has passed. So, um, the window appears to be closing, if not closed on that notion. Um, there are, uh, ways of, of, circumventing parts of the process, uh, that could help from a timeline perspective, the largest is honestly air freight. 
Um, so yeah, it's pretty well documented in mainstream news that there's a lot of troubles with with uh, air or with cargo shipping out of China. Uh, and when I say troubles, timing, uh, we're seeing um, where we used to see a, a you know five six weeks to to port. We're we're seeing two months plus at this point. Um, so th- there are a few levers that could pull, but a lot of it, that's not just a Lionel Racing NASCAR right. diecast no, no, problem. No, 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 that, no, no. They, You yeah. know, you might not realize it, but the bananas that you're eating for breakfast this morning probably took longer to get from wherever they came from to the grocery store. Whatever you just bought, you know, the clothes, whatever it is, this is a worldwide, nationwide, you know, everywhere problem. Yeah, no, it's it is a global issue, um, and and that's why I said it's really been very very well documented. I mean, any major news network has has talked about the the status of shipping cans and containers and. They haven't gone into tremendous depth because, quite frankly, most people don't really sort of understand the whole supply chain side of things. But um, the reality is, is we have never globally seen a situation like this in terms of shipping. Um, And it is, uh, you know, it's not affecting just us by any means. It is it is affecting everything as a consumer. Um, And and we're seeing it in pricing. Right. We're seeing it on the shelves as as things. um, I mean, it was it was pretty well documented. Building supplies have have gone through the roof. Right. Mm -hmm. Part of that is supply of materials and part of that is the shipping costs. Um, So, yes, to your point, absolutely not um, not just a Lionel racing problem, um, but certainly something that we are dealing with. Right. Because it our products do come in from China and, you know, they've had port closures. They've had you know, we've had (laughs) we've had Captains get sick with COVID on a ship, and and the, and the ship gets canceled. We've had um, you know containers not show up. We've had containers show up for a booking that then we don't fit on, so we have to move to another ship. Um, you know, it, it is on and on and on and on. It, it is just, and then here when it gets to the U.S., the ports are backed up. We've got, I mean, again, very well documented. There's dozens of ships sitting in the harbor uh, in on the, on the west coast. Um, the ports are, are overwhelmed. There are not enough truck drivers to get trucks. So we've had cans come into port and, and wait for a truck driver. So transportation is, 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 uh, is, a, is a big issue. Um, getting back to the diecast side of it, um, where we are is that we have our templates created. And so uh, as part of the process for a new car, what has to happen is a 3D uh, wireframe has to be created from the actual body of the car. That's been done on all of them, all three OEMs. Um, that then comes to our artists and we create what we call a flat art template. That flat art template essentially looks like the car has been run over by a bulldozer mm-hmm. or, a, or a steamroller, flattened. Um, so if you can imagine like the sides are splayed out, the back and the rear or the front and the rear are splayed out. And that when we, when we import that file to our 3D program, it wraps the car or wraps the graphic onto the car and so that template has been created and is finalized. And so now we have the ability to take flat art, put it on a 3D image, um, present a 3D image to the fans so they can see what the car looks like. But at the same time, also send that art file, which is flat when it's printed, to the factory and have an accurate print that will then translate to a decorated car. So the good news is we've checked all those boxes, right? So we, we're ready for that. There are some nuances to the placement of decals that are still being finalized. Um, that is a sport-wide thing, so um, exact positioning of numbers um, and areas that teams are allowed to use for decoration purposes. Um, that is uh, that is being finalized as we speak. It may be done. It probably will be done actually by the time this airs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so um, once that's all done, then we have to get some paint schemes in from the teams. We turn those into um, samples, decorate those samples, and we get, get rolling on the process. Now, same time is because it's all new, the factory has to, they're not going to be as fast with making the new car as they are the car they've been making for several years. So, you know, there's all these factors that kind of go into it. Um, obviously, we're pushing hard. We're hoping to get the cars done as quickly as we can. Um, we want them to be representative of the product. We hope they uh, will be. Uh, we're still working on some packaging concepts that are pretty cool. Yes. Um, so, you know, we're, we're excited. And our goal is to get them to the fans as quickly as we possibly can. I also think the finalization of the 2022 schedule will help us get paint schemes here pretty soon from the teams because I think a lot of sponsors and teams have those conversations when the schedule is finalized about what paint scheme they're going to run when and that determines what they run at certain tracks so that should help us get paint schemes yeah a lot more quickly as well I would agree and that just that just came out what two days exactly two days or so so yeah. And obviously, there's a lot of excitement about the 2022 schedule, starting off with the clash in, in Los, Los Angeles at the Coliseum there. That's going to be, I mean, that was the topic of discussion in our office that yeah. whole day, just about uh, how that's going to be with the new car at a new facility like that. Um, and, and a lot of our conversations that we've had with the teams um, have indicated an excitement of 2022 cars. But again, there's still a lot without that schedule. Nobody, you know, a lot of teams are still in between sponsors. You know, we're, we're seeing a couple of teams like we just saw Subway uh, with Stuart Haas Racing. Obviously, that's going to be a partnership that's going to continue into 2022. But the way the car looks right now in 2021, we don't know officially, but we're pretty safe to say isn't going to look the same way. You know, the, the, the graphics are not going to look the same. So there's a lot of moving pieces, um, you know, beyond just what we do within out within our four walls uh, to get these die cast in place. And we do work hand in hand with these race teams to get all that information. And, and, and that is something, too, that I think, you know, the casual fan might not necessarily understand. Um how closely we work with these teams to produce an accurate uh, representation of what's on the racetrack from uh, decal placements and revisions. And we even get sample decals from teams to make sure that we match paint correctly. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to note, you're, you're right. There, there is this concert of working very, very closely with the teams and the sponsors. I mean, they are involved in our process from, from the beginning through the end. Um, they have approval over it. I think one important thing to note is that our car represents a moment in time, just like anything else, right? So there, there are things that occur as our car is going through its process that may ultimately affect how that car actually looks versus what actually runs, right? So there's, there's a layout of, um, and, and this may be changing as well, but you know, typically there's always been the, uh, the sponsor pack that sits just behind the, 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 the front tires, right, of the different sort of sport-wide sponsors. And, you know, sometimes we'll have a sticker on there that um, the contingency might or might not actually appear on the real race car. And, and some of that is, is evolutionary, right? So the, so what we see, and, and we tend to see this with new cars because there, there tends to be things that were on the, on the cutting edge of the decision-making. And then by the time the car actually shows up, you know, in Daytona or in LA or a couple of races into the track or into the season, um, there's been a tweak, right? And so it, it sort of is a moment in time representation. We do our very, very best. That's where the race wins really come into play, right? So the race wins mm-hmm. are truly, truly what right. ran, and that's how we replicate that. Um, 
the, the, the standard cars are the best representation at the time that it's ultimately approved. Um, and honestly, if we, you know, sometimes, sometimes there are little minor shifts that happen in the, between when we approve the art and when we get the sample. And the question that has to be asked is, does, does it affect the overall car? Because if not, we have to then restart the process. That car goes to the back of the line again, which delays it again. And so sometimes it's, it's a, it's a critical decision or sometimes it's a major change and that's important. And then other times, um, you know, that little, that little contingency or whatever is either left off or, or left on. I want to make sure we touch back on the 64 scale. We haven't talked much about those uh, here on Authenticated just yet. Uh, but the 64 scale, again, total, correct me if I'm wrong, total re- refresh and, you know, from bumper to bumper, all new stuff in that car, just like on the 24 scale. Maybe talk about some of the uh, some of the interesting points about the new 2022 64 scale diecast. Yeah, so you're right. Uh, just because the uh, the overall car has changed, the wheel sets have changed, Um you know, the, uh, the, the chassis has changed. So a hundred percent new car, uh, as well. This, this one has no carryover parts. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, they're simpler obviously because they are 64 scale. So they have, you know, a fixed body, a fixed window set, and then, uh, sort of molded interior and chassis. Um, I think they look awesome. I think they look great. We haven't really talked about the aesthetic of the car at all. Um, you know, the, the representation to look like a street car, um, you know, uh, win on Sunday, sold on Monday, sort of notion right. um, is is awesome. I think they're they're great. Uh, one of the one of the one of the nuances to the new body style is that the rear quarter window is actually exactly the same on all three cars. The physical shape of it is the same. We will affect the look of it through decoration. So uh, where we um, where you might have a, right now, it sort of comes to a, a pretty sharp point as it extends out toward the the rear end of the car. Um, but the OEM might have sort of a rounded sort of effect, right? And so that's going to have to be a decoration element that goes on top of the window itself. Um, so that was an interesting change because those those cutouts have always been <clears throat> different. And so you would you would each OEM body would have its own little sort of uh, unique shape to that. Um, but all of that is translated. So what we what we see on the twenty four scale gets translated down to the sixty four scale. Uh, again, with the desire to make it as accurate looking as possible. Um, they look great as well. Um, on the collector side, we will have um, a, a diecast chassis version um, that's, that's sold through limited distribution. Um, and then the plastic will be, will be available, um, you know, through the mass channels as well. Um, so, you know, again, um, the same precision and care really goes from one to the other. Um, and how we uh, how we bring those to life. You're a car guy, not necessarily a diecast guy, but a street car guy. You, you know, you, you you know your stuff when it comes to street cars and all that stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on NASCAR kind of bringing back the, you know, like you just touched on the win on Sunday, sell on Monday? You know, when you when you watch the race car on the racetrack, it kind of looks like the car that you can have in your driveway again, uh, where it hasn't over the last few years. These cars, I think, uh, accomplish that mission. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I think, uh, you know, if you're if you're the OEM and you're spending the kind of money you're spending to to be sponsors uh, of these cars, you want them to look like what your product is. Um, <clears throat> and I think I think they've done an, an excellent, excellent job at that. Um, they have translated what the production car looks like as a race car. And um, I think it's a great element. I think it's what makes stock car racing stock car racing. Uh, you know, if you're a fan 
and you're loyal to an OEM, whichever one that is, uh, you, you feel like you're kind of part of the sport, right? Uh, because you, you're driving what they're driving. Um, you don't get that in open wheel. You don't get that in funny car. You don't, you know, none of those do a job of, of you know, they put the decals on it, but, right. um, you know, that there's, you appreciate the technological aspect of learnings that then translate, you know, into some sort of version of what you would drive as a, as a regular person um, on the street. I, I think that's what actually makes NASCAR unique and cool. Uh, is is the connection to the OEM and how that how that brings that to life and how they do such a great job of representing uh, the real car. So and and I think we've captured what they've done and um, and and done it in a in a great way. So yeah, real happy with that myself. Again, if you haven't yet seen these cars, these are the first shots. Well, well I'm gonna ask Howard just about what exactly that means—a first shot. But we will have photos and videos and all kinds of cool social media content. Lionel Racing on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you check that out. Uh, but again, these are first shots. Okay, the, uh, we will talk. Uh, I'll let you, Howard, have the floor on this. But what exactly is a first shot that they're seeing, and what comes after a first shot uh, before they actually hold these cars in their hands? So the, the first shot, what that means is, um, and, and I will preface this with is these are the best looking first shots I've ever seen. Um, so the first shots are the molds get finished at the factory. They get put up on a uh, injection machine, whether that be die cast or plastic. Um, they are, the, the parts are then injected. Um, and then the parts come out and are assembled into uh, a finished product. What we're looking at in terms of first shots here are um, precision fitments. Um, everything's working. We don't have colliding parts. So one of the things we saw in the Gen 6 cars, um, when the hood opened, yeah. the hood points at the very end leading to the windshield would contact the windshield and actually pop the windshield out. Um, so the, the the design of the the hinge um, had to be adjusted. And that's how we got to the point of where we have these hinges. And, and those are things you don't know until you actually do it. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. It's, you know, you can run it through as many CAD simulations and all sorts of other stuff, but until you like kind of like yank the hood open and have that contact point And, you know, then all of a sudden that pops that out, you, you start to realize that. But when, when I'm looking at these, I'm, you know, I'm, again, I'm holding them in my hand, I'm looking and I'm, I'm seeing precision fitments of the, uh, the hood in the open space for the, or the uh, the body or the windshields are all fitting in tight. There's no gaps. Um, the the way that the uh, wheels, as we touched on, sort of sit into the body. Um, really, really happy with these. So that gives us our first physical look at the car. This first shot. Um, these are so good. We can actually use these to potentially practice decoing on and stuff like that. Um, what happens post this is any revisions that we've requested. So we've already highlighted a couple of those for you that we have requested. Uh, the shrinking of the sort of iPad digital screen sort of look of the the front in terms of size that's that's going to come down at least by half. Um, there was a little uh, sculpting indication on the on the rear, sorry, on the underside on the underwing in the front that we uh, got called out. One of the engineers sort of indicated that they're actually separate parts, so we're going to indicate that on there. Um, there was um, the little ports uh, where the dual exhaust exit on either side, just in front of the rear wheels. Uh, there's a little uh, fitment piece that has to be added that goes on that to make it look finished on the outside. That was, that was another piece. Um, 
we we made a decision on um, we have not we have not had this in all the cars in the past. There there is an escape hatch that exists in the car. Uh, we made a decision to insize that line on the roof of the twenty four scales. We made a decision to put it graphically on the on the sixty four scales. That just has to do with sizing and application of decal. Um, so, in one case, um, in the sixty four scale, we have to make a minor modification there. But outside of that, <clears throat> uh, they will make those modifications. Fire off the second shots. Just make sure everything looks good. Send them to us for final approval, and then the tool is released. And what that means is, the tool can then go to the essentially the production department, and based on forecasts and demand, we can start shooting parts, and they can start stockpiling parts and pieces for the cars. Um, now, uh, it's a China. It's a semi-tropical, subtropical area. Humidity is high, particularly in the summertime. Um, so you don't want to shoot a whole lot of zinc bodies, uh, that are, that remain unpainted. They, they get corroded and different things. So that's not a good thing. So you can't, you can't go crazy. Um, but it does allow us to sort of start the process of getting ready for, um, the decorating process that, that will, that will follow shortly thereafter. So, um, we are really, really far along the, the tools have actually, um, been released at this point. So they're, they're doing finishing touches on that, whatever polishing might be needed. Um, and then, uh, then they will go off to production. All right, fans. What are you most excited about with the 2022 next gen line of racing diecast? We want to hear from you on social media. Use hashtag authenticated fan. And, uh, we will try to, uh, we want to see what you are most excited about. Maybe it's the new removable underpan on the elite version. Maybe it's just the way that the new, uh, cars are going to look with maybe the new decal placements. If, and when, uh, you know, those are officially announced, um, you know, whatever it might be, we want to know, we want to know what you're most excited about with these 2022 next gen diecasts from Lionel Racing. Use hashtag authenticated fan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, you know, let us know what your thoughts are on these cars. And uh, you know, it, it, it's really exciting times here at Lionel Racing. You know, we've been so eager. We're like the little engine that could. We we, we want to release these. We want every, but we want to do it right, right? Like we can't just go out there and say, you know, here's here it is, but maybe this is going to change, or maybe this isn't going to be accurate or anything like that. Whatever it is, it's going to be uh, the most accurate, the most uh, representative of what's on the racetrack. And uh, it's a lot of exciting times here at Lionel Racing with the 2022 next gen cars. And uh, as promised, I do want to circle back here. Um, uh, a lot of good stuff about the next gen cars, but let's talk about. Uh, old gen um let's talk i want to talk touch back you know here on the authenticated podcast it was an idea that michelle and i kind of ran with uh, a while back put it on hold for uh covid times but uh now it's kind of the right time there's a lot of uh, great nascar podcasts out there but uh this is not uh, necessarily uh this might be lionel racing's first foray into the uh the audio space but it's not yours howard uh you you were uh you were involved in a show on sirius xm uh, several years ago we can say uh what was that process all about what was that show what was you know what were kind of the ins and outs of, of that show yeah, so it was called NASCAR Collector on Sirius XM, um, and uh, it was essentially designed to, on the NASCAR channel, connect with uh, collectors. And so we, we sort of had a forum or roundtable of uh, folks. Uh, there was a moderator. Um, there was Buzz McKim, who was the NASCAR historian uh, at the time. He has since retired, but was connected to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. 
Uh, so he sort of brought the historical element to it. Uh, then there was Tim Trout, who was uh, with Beckett's Magazine, and that was sort of the valuation side of it. And I was originally intended to just be a guest um, to come in and talk sort of like this, to talk through the, the process, the manufacturing process, and what was kind of going on with current stuff. Um, and then they really liked in the test uh, sort of setups that we did, they really liked the dynamic of the, the different sort of viewpoints. And so every Saturday morning, I would get up and drive to a studio. And we, we started up at um, uh, up near Lake Norman at the NASCAR Technical Institute yep. is actually where we started. Um, and then we eventually uh, went over to the, um, the MRN studios. And, and that's where we, uh, we, we ran for, I guess we were, I think we were a little over three years, perhaps, when, when we kind of wrapped up. And we had gone from an hour segment to two hours. But it was really talking about diecast and collecting. And, and so it was, you know, get on the horn, give us a call, ask questions about your diecast, whatever you want to know. Um, we would have guests on every once in a while. So sometimes they were uh, historic drivers. Um, one time I was on with John Force. My left, my left shoulder uh, will never be the same because he kept every, 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 you know, 10 seconds or so I'd get a, you know, punch in the left shoulder. Anything with John Forrest, you're going to have an interesting story to tell, whether yeah. it's an injury in that case or, 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 you know, whatever it might be, anything involving John Forrest is a story to come for sure. Yeah, no, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to get up and uh, to, to, you know, sort of hang out with these guys every morning, every Saturday morning and, and talk through just uh, the cool stuff that was NASCAR and, uh, and, you know, and, and most of the time we focused on diecast. It didn't always stay there. Um, but that's, that's, uh, it was sort of the intention of it. And, uh, like I said, it was just, it was a cool show lasted about three years. We did a couple of remotes. We did a, a live remote, I think twice from Daytona, which was fun. Um, but, uh, it was, it was cool. So, yeah. So Dr. Diecast became my moniker, um, at that point, that's that's lived on uh, through representations on uh, QVC right. and, and other shopping networks. You're always going to be Dr. Diecast. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, that still gets referred to by the, the folks that have been around a while. Yes. Uh, just be careful, though, because you were only intended to be a guest on that show, and then you ended up being <laughs> one of the co-hosts. Just be careful, because that's kind of what we intended for this. And, yeah. uh, you know, clear your schedule for next week. You never know. All right. All right. Well. Uh, but, uh, no, it, it's really cool to be able to uh, talk to fans. Maybe if you remember that, NASCAR collector a serious xm show if you remember maybe you called in you had a, a cool story that you remember telling howard about on that show uh, years ago use hashtag authenticated fan we'd love to hear from you and uh, maybe rekindle some of those old memories from that show and we do intend to bring back uh, and for those of you who remember the fix that we that youtube show that we had for several years um uh, actually debuted five years ago this week uh, that show did and uh, we put a pause on that for covid times but um, we did a collector's corner on that show where we would talk to or we would hear and get photos from collectors. And that's things that we want to do with this authenticated podcast as well. Uh, use hashtag authenticated fan. If you've got some a cool story about a diecast that you've got, we'd love to maybe talk to you. Um, there's different ways that we can get that information on our podcast. And uh, we want to hear from more fans about what you like, what you want to see, what you want to hear and all that. And uh, we'd be definitely uh, interested to hear what's going on out there in the collect uh, for you collectors. But uh, 
happy to have you here today, Howard. I know there's a lot of exciting times and uh, certainly, you know, the challenges over the last 18 months or so have, you know, like everybody in every kind of industry, you weather the storm and hope for the sunshine on the other end of it. And I think with the launch of these 2022 cars, uh, you know, that sun is rising, you know what I mean? Uh, for, for lack of a better term, uh, th- th- this is a really cool time for the sport and for not Lionel Racing Diecast. Yeah, it's... Um you know, it's COVID has been a, a, a global challenge, right? And and um, our organization, I'm real proud of uh, everybody involved in the organization. We did not let that stop us um, on the development of this car or on operating the business. Um, you know, we've had we've had some notable challenges with uh, with our factories and with shipping, as as we've sort of indicated. Um, it's it's just an effect of um, a global workforce and global transportation. Uh, we continue to work really hard, pushing to. Um, to deliver the most accurate, uh, best diecast as quickly as possible. Um, hopefully, no, you know things normalize more and more as uh, as as we move um, through and hopefully beyond uh, this whole COVID situation. But um, real proud of the organization. We continue to put great stuff out. Looking forward to uh, 2022 diecast. Um, the finish of of this season, which has been great, uh, really great stuff on track. Um, and so. Uh, you know we've got a we've got a champion the crown and and uh, and all that to go through still and um, so we'll keep working hard uh, to make cool stuff and uh, and get that out there. Absolutely. Well, Howard, we really appreciate the time here and uh, you did such a good job. Like I said, clear your calendar. We might have you back <laughs> on here before long. Ten four. Yeah, all right. Good deal. Well, Howard Hitchcock, Lionel Racing CEO. We appreciate his time here today on Authenticated and uh, stick around. We got a lot more cool stuff here to come on today's show. We're going to wrap things up on this episode of Authenticated. This is episode five, but the first official version uh, that you can reach on all of the major podcast platforms from Apple Apple Podcasts to Google, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, you can get Authenticated. Make sure you subscribe so that you get the notification when the new episodes air. We're going to try to do one uh, at least every other week, maybe even every week, especially as we get through the playoffs here and got a lot of stuff to talk about. But we will definitely be providing you a lot of audio content through Authenticated as we go down the road. Uh, This week, of course, you just heard from uh, Lionel CEO Howard Hitchcock about the Next Gen Diecast. We've already got some guests lined up uh, from artists and other folks that are in the NASCAR uh, paint scheme and die cast industry. Uh, we're hoping to talk to some drivers, some crew chiefs, some spotters down the road, and uh, also some of our staff here at Lionel Racing that has a lot of great stories about the NASCAR uh, die cast industry. Uh, some of us you know, used to be racers, pit crew members, uh, family members that were pit crew members, and things like that, all involved in the sport for uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, We're not just ones who make uh, little die cast cars that go on your shelf. We are passionate about the sport we all have a history in the sport we've all seen and done a lot of cool things in this sport uh, and we want to tell a lot of those stories uh, through this new podcast authenticated as we go down the road but we're going to finish up this episode with our last lap highlight of the week and uh, kick things off uh, this is going to be just an opportunity to give a shout out a tip of the cap or whatever it might have been or even just uh, you know even if you want to if you want to badmouth somebody this is an opportunity for any of us to do that on this last lap highlight so i'll start with you alex what was your last lap highlight of this past weekend uh the xfinity um the sponsor of the xfinity series calling out lionel racing on replicating aj's damage after winning the race friday night so called us out in a good way they did they called us out like good luck making that die cast with all the damage 
So, I mean, it was really cool to actually see them, you know, tag us and be like, hey, you like diecast too. That's awesome. We are up for the challenge. We are going to tackle it. Yes, it is. Uh, like you just heard already in the show, we are hard at work at making that come to life as we speak. And uh, Michelle, what was your last laugh highlight of the week? So mine's also from Twitter. Um, so Tony Stewart, after the Bristol Cup race, tweeted from his account um, a very curious video of him, like from the back of him, watching the, I would say, altercation between Chase Elliott and his driver, Kevin Harvick, after the race. And as he's watching it, you know, he put the caption, your win is coming, Kevin Harvick, give him hell. But what everybody's talking about is under the television is a die cast of the number five of Kyle Larson. <laughs> so everybody's oh. like, why does Tony Stewart have a die cast of Kyle Larson? What does this mean? And even the NASCAR um, on NBC Twitter handle tweeted the same thing. So I don't know. I can't say that Tony Stewart travels with Kyle Larson diecast. My guess is, you know, his fiance, Leah Pruitt, was here in Concord for the um, NHRA weekend at ZMAX Dragway. My guess is he was in some sort of suite for that over at the drag strip or in a hotel nearby and that die cast happened to be there i will say as a former reporter i did reach out to the team mm -hmm. and ask for confirmation <laughs> on where he was and if he does indeed travel with kyle larson die cast but i have yet to receive a comment or confirmation but we will report back should we receive that information and let the curious fans know because there's a reddit thread about it oh wow it's really blowing up and you know i want to know i'm curious yeah yeah Personally, I, I, you know, I, I like to picture my smoke, you know, was that the Talladega Nights line? Like, I like to picture, you know, my Jesus with a tuxedo t-shirt. Right. I like to picture my smoke as carrying like a little duffel bag full of die casts. And you know, like, <laughs> like when my son was, was a lot younger, like we would have to pack like a little backpack full of die cast cars for him to race around the dinner table or something like that. We go to a restaurant. I can picture, I can, I would, just in my mind, I like to picture Tony Stewart going vroom, vroom with his little die cast cars and yeah. everything like that. But you'd think he'd have like the number four. Well, I mean, hey, who's having a better year? Or his own. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you got to figure, Tony Stewart appreciates racers, right? He does. Like, you know, he's got the number four. He ran the number 14. Certainly, SHR still runs a 14 because of A.J. Foyt. You know, it, when it comes to flat out winning race car drivers, hard nosed, only care to take the checkered flag type of racers. It's A.J. Foyt. It's Tony Stewart. It's guys like that. So. Tony appreciates a guy like Kyle Larson, no doubt about totally. it. Totally. They've raced wheel to wheel in, in, in open wheel and sprint cars and midgets and stuff like that over the years. So I was going to say the dirt backgrounds probably are a very common thread as well. Right. So, you know, no doubt that Tony Stewart appreciates the drivers that he has in his SHR stable, but he appreciates damn good racers. And, and yeah. Kyle Larson is one of those. So, uh, you know, kudos to to smoke for recognizing that and uh you know for in enjoying lionel racing diecast you know oh absolutely tony if you need more just holler at us man we, we'll hook you up we got well, you and you know any collector that's a tony stewart fan knows if you go through an autograph line and you've got a diecast like a proto or maybe a rear one that yeah. maybe you may not should have he'll be the first to call you out oh, and yeah. ask you where did you get this what is this i've seen this 
firsthand. Yes. Yeah. And we, I remember we did a deal when uh, when Smithfield first came to yep. Stuart Haas Racing years, uh, you know, well, maybe five, six years ago, whenever that was. Uh, we had an event uh, that we were uh, we participated in at Stuart Haas Racing, and there was so many die casts. Like you said, it was prototypes. It was, you know, lots of rare die casts that Tony didn't even remember that we made. And he asked about them. And people were coming up to him and like, hey, Tony, all they wanted was an autograph. Tony wanted to talk about the car and be like, yep. oh, I remember this. I didn't even know we made this. You know, he, he is very in tune with the die cast industry. And I remember talking to him after the event, just talking about die cast. And he had every single pre-production sample of every car that he drove once he made yeah. it to NASCAR. And I mean, I don't know if I can't say personally that I know of any other driver that is that way. Maybe some of the guys who only had one or two, but certainly Tony Stewart, we made a lot of yeah, his cars. If there is one, I don't know about it either. Right. So, I mean, uh, Tony Stewart is definitely one of those, you know, he is a team owner. He's a successful racer, but he, he's a very knowledgeable guy in this, uh, in this part of the, uh, the industry as well. And potentially a Kyle Larson diecast fan. Yes, we'll find out. Absolutely. Hopefully. Absolutely. And an uh, ultimate collector. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. We uh, and uh, my last lap highlight of this week is uh, going to be a tip of the cap to Cliff Daniels, the crew chief of Kyle Larson's number five, uh, s- six wins in the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series season for a guy that, you know, took over, uh, you know, when Jimmy Johnson was just on his last season and uh, not many people knew about him. You know, he's a smart guy and certainly being involved with that race team, but they hadn't been winning a whole lot. And it seemed kind of strange that they would bring in this young guy, you know, in his late 20s to lead the charge of a NASCAR Cup Series team. But um, many moons ago, I was with an organization that built websites for short track drivers and Cliff and his sister Tiffany were late model racers in Virginia. And we built a website for them, did some PR work for them as well. And uh, Tiffany was a heck of a race car driver as well. And she actually went on to Hendrick Motorsports later on uh, in a PR marketing role as well. Um, But Cliff was a smart dude. and, And I don't know if he's, Kyle Larson is, a phenomenal talent. He is hands down, maybe one of the best drivers of our gener of this generation of NASCAR racers for sure, or racers in general. But I don't know if Cliff's getting enough credit for what he's doing with that team that hadn't gone to victory lane in a few years, uh, turning things around. And I think the combination of Kyle as a driver and Cliff as the crew chief has really turned that organization into just a one car and then the rest like it had been over the last couple of years with Chase Elliott winning a lot of races and the other guys maybe winning a race or two, but not really being a week to week threat. Uh, Now, I think that has really stepped up that whole Hendrick Motorsports organization by having a really smart and uh, uh, knowledgeable guy like Cliff Daniels top the pit box for that five team so that's going to do it for this week on authenticated the first official episode of authenticated the diecast collectors podcast from lionel racing and uh as you heard from howard hitchcock and our ceo earlier in the show lots of great things on the horizon for our next gen diecast they will be coming soon those first shots look amazing you will get more of a look of those on the Out of the Groove YouTube show with Eric Estep. Uh, Howard was a guest of Eric's and uh, put a lot of great information out there. And uh, if you haven't seen these diecast yet, those first shots are in Howard's hand on that show. So uh, you will definitely want to check that out, see what they look like for yourself. And we will have also a lot of social media content surrounding these next gen diecast as well. We've got a lot of great things in store with those next gen cars as we get closer to the 2022 season. That's not to say we're giving up on 2021 yet either. We've got a lot of cool stuff to come with 2021. Some new paint schemes still to be announced. And uh, certainly as we get closer to those championship uh, diecasts to uh, to be 
you know, come to fruition once uh, once the Phoenix Race Weekend comes to an end, and we've got champions for the trucks Xfinity and the Cup Series. So again, uh, I hope you ladies had a great time today. That now that this show is officially Alex, yes, you can finally tell people about this show. <laughs> We've been trying to keep it, on, you know, yes. on the low key until everything's wrapped up and everything's available. So please, blast it out on your Twitter, your social media, put a billboard up on the interstate. I don't care what you do. Tell people to download and, and subscribe. A, a flag out back of my car. Exactly. Authenticated. Whatever works, Alex. Yes, absolutely. And and if you race fans want to get involved in the discussion, maybe there's some things that you want to hear on Authenticated in future episodes. Episodes. Maybe there's some guests that you say, hey, this dude's got a lot of die cast. And uh, we're actually approaching the 30th anniversary of the Racing Collectibles Club of America, RCCA. And we've got a lot of cool stuff surrounding that event as well. So maybe if you've been an RCCA member for all 30 years, we want to hear from you. Use hashtag authenticated fan across social media. We will monitor that. We want to talk to more and more collectors. We want to talk to fans. We want to talk to folks who just are passionate about die cast and the NASCAR industry as a whole and what's going on on the racetrack. Use hashtag authenticated fan and we can read your tweets. We can see your Instagrams. We can see everything that there is so we can uh, see what we can provide you with on future episodes of authenticated. Again, we really appreciate you. Uh, sub- I hope you subscribe to this show. We want to make it big. We want to make it what you, the diecast collector, wants to hear on a week-to-week basis here on Authenticated. So on, on behalf of Michelle and Alex, I am Matt. That's going to do it for us on Authenticated. We will see you next time. Enjoy the race at Las Vegas this weekend. It's going to be an exciting one. We will catch up with you next time on Authenticated. Follow Lionel Racing on Twitter at Lionel underscore racing on Instagram at Lionel underscore racing. And be sure to like Lionel Racing on Facebook. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at ForneyIndy.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, Ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.